Proverbs. We're working through we're working through the book of Proverbs subject by subject, not verse by verse. They'll be tonight and they'll be next Sunday night and uh, that'll finish that'll finish the book of Proverbs. So there'll be 16 studies altogether that we've done. They're online as well, but I think it's nice just to have the notes kind of in your hand to help as we work our way through it. Tonight, avoiding the path of the scoffer. Following God, loving God in an age that's filled with cynicism. A lot of times you can do good Bible study with just a dictionary. To scoff. To treat with derision or contempt. To deride, mock, or jeer at. That's the way one dictionary defines scoffing. If you have the old King James translation, the same word will usually be translated mocking. Scoffing, mocking. The the important point, though, is the attitude behind it. Scoffing is not the same as criticism. Sometimes criticism can be helpful. Sometimes criticism can be constructive. Sometimes criticism has good reason behind it. Uh, we can all think of times in our life when we were, we were well-intentioned, we're doing the best we could, but what we ended up doing deserved frank, honest, loving criticism from someone. And it can help repeating the same mistakes. Scoffing... Scoffing's different. It's not just the thoughts expressed, but it's the attitude behind, behind critical words. The scoffer usually considers himself not only clever, but kind of witty, kind of edgy. Scoffing is highly related to inner pride, a resistance in the heart to the truth that the scoffer is mocking. He can't afford to admit it. So, so scoffing, unlike criticism, is, is rarely, if ever, given to help any situation. The closest cousin we would think of for scoffing might be ridicule. Surprising as you look through the book of, Sco- of Proverbs, the number of times you'll see it talking about scoffing, mocking, and you, you get it set in kind of a spiritual context, what it does to the heart of the one doing the scoffing. We're usually more concerned about the feelings of the one mocked or the ideals that are held by someone and what it feels like to have those mocked. Proverbs almost always, not exclusively, but almost always, looks at what scoffing does to the person doing it. Um, whenever there's a rejection of God, there's frequently, not always, but frequently, the accompaniment of some kind of scoffing. I had a a pretty good buddy. Uh, He was in his uh, last year of of Bible college when I was in my first. Uh, He was uh, on staff at the church that I was at before coming here in, in Saskatoon. And he was on staff, and he would do music. And he was a whiz. I mean, uh, he was the kind of guy who could hear a song 
And if he wanted to do it, he would just immediately sit down at the piano, nothing in front of him, and he would just play it, just like he heard it. And, and he had a good voice, and he was very talented, great marks, clever. Uh, we had a television broadcast in Saskatoon, and he would head up all the music and the production of all that stuff. And so I was with another buddy, and, and I was talking to him at one of the general conferences, and I said, how is so-and-so doing? And he said, oh, haven't you heard? He's, he's an atheist. I thought, an, an atheist? And this friend of mine described the kind of, the kind of tone, the kind of words, the kind of sarcasm, almost, almost the, the, the derision that he held his former views with at this point in life. But it wasn't because he had suddenly become more intelligent. It wasn't because he had suddenly uh, a deeper understanding of philosophy and wisdom than he had before. That wasn't it. There were all sorts of circumstances that piled up in his life, and, and atheism became, for, for, for establishing his own values and setting his own course in life, atheism became the safe door rather than facing accountability before God. And that's frequently the way the book of Proverbs will talk about scoffing and the scoffer. Let's look at a few thoughts together. We'll, we'll just work our way through them. Point number one. The greatest danger of all is to scoff at sin and at God. People mock all sorts of things. I guess we all do it at different times. We, uh, you know, we poke fun at, at politicians. We poke fun at this and that. And we have our are witty kind of comments. People come to accept that kind of thing. This is different. Um, the most dangerous kind of scoffing and mocking is, is to mock at sin. I was looking at just the first part of Proverbs 14, 9, where it says, fools mock at the guilt offering. So, so here are uh, religious people who have come to the place where they will mock at the need for cleansing Proverbs, of course, Solomon writing in the Old Testament dispensation and context, mocking at the need of cleansing from the actual guilt of sin, and you're looking at the, the most dangerous habit in town. It, it manifests itself in questions like this. Maybe you've heard it. The quickest way to mock uh, the seriousness of sin is to come to people who hold to biblical revelation and what the Bible says about sin, to come to them and to put them in an awkward position where they have to sort of pronounce something they don't want to pronounce. So you go up to the Bible-believing Christian and you say, so your God is holy and he hates sin? Yes. You really mean to tell me your God is going to send someone to hell for just one sin? Do you mean to tell me that I'm going to go to hell just because I... And there it, there it is. And so here you are. You're the Christian, and what are you supposed to say? I mean, do, you don't feel... You don't feel like you have biblical grounds for saying, yes, that one sin, if God comes, Jesus comes back, and that's the last thing you did, bang, you're, you're going to hell. But, but the person 
asks the question and almost daring you to come back with something like that. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a mocking kind of question. It's designed to set you on edge. It's designed to make you say, well, I guess that's ridiculous. I mean, God's not going to send you to hell just for doing that. And no one presses the logic further. Well, what about, what about two times, four times? Five? What about a life that's built around those kinds of sins? Because at some point, if you're going to take the New Testament seriously, yeah, unrepentant sinners will be eternally lost and damned. Now, if you're going to mock that view just because I can't tell you it's there, there's the cutoff point. But that's a very clever way that they have of, of making light of sin. Sin is always made to look small. Why does the fool mock sin? His problem isn't that he's mentally slow. His real problem's different. His real problem is, even if not admitted, is there's, he's afraid. He can't bring himself to honestly face his sin or the reality of judgment. And so his only recourse is to avoid the impact of truth. The way it would, the way it would hit him forcefully if he looked at it honestly. And so the way you do that is you make it, you make it glance off by a, a mocking attitude. Slight comments without careful examination. So scoffing in a way is it's the nervous response to dangerous truth. It's, it's the defense mechanism. This isn't in your notes, but it's the defense mechanism. Scoffing is the defense mechanism behind Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then the psalmist says they're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Well, if you're committed to corruption and you're committed to abominable acts... The one thing you surely can't do is honestly look at sin and the reality of God and the reality of judgment. That's why notice, notice what the text says. The fool says, this is not an outward argument. The fool says in his heart, he's talking to himself. He, he, he can't afford living the life he's living, valuing the things he values, setting the direction of his life the way he's setting it. The last thing he can afford to do is admit eternal reality. And so he says, he says in his heart, he says to himself, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. He has to. There, he has nowhere else to go. To the person who's committed to non-repentance, to the person who is committed to justifying his actions, given that we all have this innate sense. It's, it's part of the image of God given in creation. You, you have to do something to suppress it. You have to do something to argue against it. Nothing reveals an ungodly heart more than scoffing at truth. Scoffing at sin makes a person more unlike God than anything else. It's one thing to fail. It's one thing to fall into sin. It's another thing altogether to mock God and righteousness and holiness. Think about it. We know how God views sin. One sin. That one sin. 
Is God going to punish me for one sin? We know how God views that one sin because he sent his own son, God the Son, to die on the cross for that one sin. He shed his blood for that one sin. The one the mocker dares God to judge him for. We know how Jesus viewed sin and wickedness. He stood looking over wayward Jerusalem one afternoon and the tears flowed down his cheeks because of their wickedness and their indifference to God. And then there are the sinners, the ones for whom Jesus came and died. And the Bible says many of them scoff or mock at their own sin and the sins of others. How how twisted is that? When Jesus saw sin, he wept. He knew knew what response was suitable to sinful wickedness. But scoffers don't get it. This is as accurate a test of your soul as any I know because God never scoffs. God never mocks at sin. Jesus weeps over sin. Angels never scoff at sin. Saints who know the power of sin and the deliverance of grace, they don't. They don't mock sin, but a heart that is becoming numbed and has to justify its numbness, it will mock, and that's why the scoffer is called a fool. Two. Scoffing is like eating cashews. You, you, you never do just one. It, it piles up. It becomes habitual. The way people mock earthly authorities is the way they will mock God as well. That's why you'll see things like this in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13.1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Now, it's not talking about God here. How is this tied together? How does this fit in? Well, patterns of life... Uh, establish themselves quickly and form eternal consequences. Whether, whether it's before parents, like this verse, or before law enforcement, or before educators and teachers. Th- those who grow up with the kind of wit that enables them to belittle authority, but with a deaf ear to authority, they, they will quickly find life closing in on them. And... and That's why Solomon talks about children and parents in the home because this pattern of mocking authority, this pattern of mocking any voice that comes into your life saying, you need to change, you're wrong, you need to change, the habit of mocking that becomes addictive. It becomes the in the box response. And so, and so as, as kids grow up and they never learn to listen to their parents, none listen perfectly, of course, we're all fallen and there's discipline and all sorts of things. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about patterns getting established. That's, that's why, that's why Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he calls this commandment to honor parents. He calls it the command with promise, if you ever look at it. It's the command with promise. Because 
because it brings blessings you can't even see yet. It's not that God thinks your parents, maybe here tonight, your young person, it's not that God thinks your parents are the most brilliant people on earth and incapable of error. He knows your parents, he knows you. He knows they need forgiveness just like you need forgiveness. But he does know that all of our wills, all of our wills need training before visible authorities that we see so we won't mock the authority of an invisible God whom we don't see. And that's a learned response because we tend to be evaders of truth. Three. For all those above reasons, the scoffer can never make any progress with God. Proverbs 14.6 says, The scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. That in itself is a strange phrase. I mean, does a scoffer really seek wisdom? The scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. So, so in Proverbs, remember, the root of wisdom is always, it's always spiritual. It's not just academic. It's spiritual. It's connected to God and his righteousness. There's a moral nature to wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the kind of wisdom the scoffer can't find, which begs the question we need to think. Why can't he find it? Why can't he find it? Well, the scoffer can't find wisdom for the same reason the bank robber can't find the police. Isn't wisdom available? Is it too difficult for the scoffer to understand? The verse says he seeks wisdom, but even that's very strange. Why would someone who only scoffs at wisdom bother to seek it? And, and the key, I think, to understanding that is noting the two kinds of wisdom that the Bible talks about. Let me just read them to you. 2 Corinthians 1.12. So here's what we're doing. We're looking at two kinds of wisdom so we can answer the question, what does the writer of Proverbs mean when he says, the scoffer seeks wisdom? 2 Corinthians 1.12. Paul writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. This is just an inward integrity. That we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. That's a great thing to be able to say. Now here's something different, another kind of wisdom. James 3, 15, 16, 17. This is, you have to jump into the middle of a thought, but the only way to get around that was to put the whole chapter on there, and I didn't want to do that. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So he's not talking now about godly wisdom. He's talking about a different kind of wisdom. But is earthly, unspiritual. Then he puts, look, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder and every vile practice. The wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle. Look at open, open to reason. Now, you see what a scoffer does? 
He's shutting things down. He's poking fun. He mocks. Divine wisdom, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. What kind of wisdom does the scoffer seek? He's seeking the kind, James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. Here's a person, here's a person like that, like that friend of mine that I mentioned at the beginning. Here's a person committed to going down his own road, his own path, on his own terms. That's called selfish ambition. Okay? And if you're going to live like that, there's an earthly kind of wisdom that you need, and mocking is at the heart of it because you cannot afford to admit what true righteousness is and what true accountability is and what eternity is. You have to leave those out. And the only way you can leave those out is you're not, like James says, the good wisdom, open to reason. You have to shut the door on reason. And the quickest way to do it is to appear witty and proud and to mock truth when it comes to set you free. There is that kind of wisdom, earthly wisdom, fleshly wisdom. And people who crave this wisdom are people who are seeking to fulfill their own desires, secure their own lives on their, their life on their own terms. The desire to be wise they have is, is the sense of satisfying themselves in terms of the aspirations of their heart. Many translations will call uh, that wisdom in James sensual wisdom. It's the, the things of the senses, immediate fulfillment of the desires of the senses. And so this is what the scoffer seeks, the wisdom of self-fulfillment. And he can't find true wisdom from God because he doesn't want it. It's easy, you know, we're studying this. It's very easy to imagine that this couldn't possibly apply to any of us in this room. After all, we're here because we're hungry for truth. We're not mockers. We're not scoffers. And and I know that. But this idea of pursuing selfish ambition at the expense of spiritual growth, that's not terribly far from any of us. I was thinking about this. I've gone through seasons. I've gone through seasons in my life where I worked harder at learning to hit a low draw on the golf course than I have to deepen my prayer life. So there's no mystery as to why my apparent search for godliness wasn't going to pay off. Right? Point number four. Scoffing at truth is not only addictive, that was the last point, it's contagious, and that's slightly different. Proverbs 29, 8. Here's another text specifically talking about scoffing. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away in wrath. Okay, this is not a verse about people going around setting cities on fire. It's not a text about pyromaniacs. It's, it's talking about how scoffing and mocking has an edginess to it that, that is very self-exalting. And it's like fire. It catches on. People like, they like, ooh, that was sharp. That was funny. That was cool. That was trendy. 
and people will latch on to it. And then it says, but a wise person turns away. There's the, there's the flame. It's growing in popularity. The wise person looks at it and just goes, what, what are you people doing? This is divine truth. This matters. And they'll, they'll, they're not going to be sucked in. The heat doesn't draw them in. They're not attracted to it. Haven't you noticed, honestly, think about this. Have you not noticed how popular Christian authors who deviate from biblical truth almost always end up with bestsellers? Think about it. Ooh, did you see so-and-so's new book? He's renouncing this. He doesn't believe in eternity. He doesn't believe in hell. He doesn't believe in the holiness of God. This person, he doesn't believe in the Trinity. This person doesn't think the Bible is really true. This person, and, and people just think, he used to be. I wonder what he's found out. What a gutsy move. Did you see his book? And they set others on fire. That's why, by the way, the call, the call to godliness always includes a call away from mockers. That's an important uh, point. That's why you, you'll see things like Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice the, pro- the progression there. If you're, going to, if you're going to listen to wicked people and you're going to participate in sinful activities and that's your committed choice, then your only defense is going to be to mock divine truth. That's how that works. And all of those are in the plural, Sinners, scoffers, plural. There's this emphasis on on the pack mentality. If I want to take up God's word the way the rest of Psalm 1 describes, where it becomes your delight. That is just a beautiful picture of taking up God's word and having, having it so affect your life. He says you're like a tree. Little shrubs, you can move all over the place, but have you ever... If you've ever made the mistake of planting a tree too close to your house and you wait too long and you go out there and there's a maple tree and it's this fat around. And you go out and try and move it. Just go out and try and shove it over. See, this, this, that's the image here of, of getting God's truth into your life in such a way storms come, trials come, the wind blows like a tree. How's that happen? Well, Pastor Don, it t- you just read it and meditate on it. It says he meditates on it day and light, night. And I'm saying, no. It's not how it happens. Not at first. And the psalmist is saying something profound. He's saying, before you even pick this up, before you even start your daily Bible reading program so you can get through the book in 2016. Before you start that, if it's going to have a good effect on your heart, there's something you have to do first. What? What do I have to do before I pick up the book? Verse 1 says the first thing you do is you have to turn away from 
the pack mentality. So many people who don't believe what you believe. Maybe you're here and you're in college, university. They don't think the way you think. Professors who love to fire little things. I had that. Love to fire little things at you because they know your beliefs. I can go way back, way back to grade 12 in high school when we had a very prominent atheist come to the high school where I was. And in a large group setting, as we listened to this guy speak, because it sounds silly to say it this way, but it's just true, because our, our, our church was on TV and it was televised and people kind of knew I was on there. Sometimes I do interviews with my dad and stuff like that. I, and, but because people kind of knew who I was, I had a guy, very prominent guy, who said in front of everybody, bet you wish you were back at altar boy now, eh, Donnie Horvin? He said that in front of all the people. Just so if you're going to stand for Christ and make your life count and have God's word make the roots of your life go down like a tree, the first thing you have to do is you're going to have to determine that it takes a a fair bit of courage to stand alone against people that mock. Last point. Number five, Proverbs 9, 12. God's judgment awaits the scoffer. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, you'll get the dividends. You will get the dividends. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. It's the striking contrast, isn't it, to just the last point where, where scoffing, it, 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 there's a pack mentality. There's a, there's a popularity to it. The time will come when the scoffer reaps his fruit all by himself. The crowd gets thinned out. The individual gets singled out. The scoffer gets judgment. No attitude is ever lost to God in this world. That's important to remember. Mockers aren't turned into pillars of salt. And the apparent silence can harden scoffers into deeper mocking of sin and righteousness. They can imagine that they've outwitted and silenced all the voices against them, but it's only an apparent victory. Proverbs 19.29 talks about scoffers again, and it says, Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. What is God doing? when people mock him in this world. Why doesn't he do something to, to, to all the atheists and all the mockers and all the people that blaspheme his name? What is God doing about it? It's not true to say that he's doing nothing. He's doing something. It's just you don't see it. What is God doing, Pastor Don? I'll tell you right now what God is doing to everyone who mocks him. Romans 2.5. Read it for yourself. It says he is, God is storing up wrath. 
I don't say those words lightly. Those are some of the most frightening words in your whole Bible. Because you see what the wrath of God does instantly through so many instances in the Old Testament. And some in the New. What, what can it possibly be like if God is actually storing up more wrath? You know the Galatians text, especially in the old King James, be not deceived, God is not mocked. You, you, you can't scoff your way out of eternally facing divine truth. And so, what we do on occasions like this, this is why we come together. I, I want to make sure that, that I have a heart such that God's truth can easily imprint deeply on my heart. That's one thing. And then I want to make sure Monday, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, I hope you'll come to the prayer meeting we'll get together again. Come to prayer meeting Wednesday night. But, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, having God's truth is not enough. That I will constantly face occasions where the culture in which I'm immersed and the culture in which you're immersed doesn't take very seriously the things that I hold dear. If you're not ready for that, you can't follow Jesus. And so there's, there's, a, there's a bracing. Having done all, to stand. It's not even fighting. It's just standing. You've got a stance. Don't be sucked in by mockers. And everyone said...